Welcome to the Inspired Women Podcast. I'm your host, Megan Hall, motivational speaker, full-time psychology student, mama four, and military spouse. On this podcast, I share helpful life tips and real stories from inspirational women. Warning, sometimes we chat about taboo topics and drop some F-bombs. Thank you for tuning in with me today. Enjoy the episode. Hey guys, today I'm here with Nicole. Nicole Delcourt is a mother, wife, and writer who is on a mission to empower women to become authors of their own story. Someday, my husband keeps telling me, you need to write a book, Megan. I was like, yeah, I don't, not right. I'm not there right now. Maybe someday. Uh, Nicole spent years struggling with anxiety and panic attacks and believed that she was broken, quote unquote, broken. Don't we all when we're struggling with mental health? A narrative that nearly cost her life. Now healed from her experience, She is passionate about sharing her story so other women who are struggling will know they aren't alone. Her debut memoir, The Things I Couldn't Say, will be released late in 2019. When it gets released, let us know or let me know so that I can share it out with everybody. You know, if they're listening to this and then later on, they're like, oh, I definitely want to get that book. Or they could email you maybe to um, find out when they'll be able to purchase any of those options would be great. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, your email, you gave it to me. It will be linked up in the show notes. Also, you guys can follow her on Instagram. Both of her Instagram handles will be linked up there. Uh, one is specifically for her author page. So definitely check it out so that you can grab the book. Cause that sounds like a good one. I've been reading a lot of memoirs on mental health lately, a lot about dissociative identity disorder. And I know not everybody believes it's a real thing, but I find it fascinating. Um, so it's been, it's been a good time. I think now I need to switch to fiction because I've <laughs> overdone it with the mental health books. Like I've read since I've moved two months ago, I've read probably 12 mental health books, like memoirs. I've read, I've read a ton of them too. There, there are certainly some really good ones out there. And uh, you know, people have really powerful stories and, and mental health used to be, you know, this, this closeted, um, you know, if someone in your family had a mental health issue, well, we don't talk about the crazy aunt. Right. You know? And and now people are just like enough already. And I mean, we have a lot of work to do, but I think we're certainly trending in the right direction. And, you know, people are writing books and there's movies and, and there's, you know, Instagram pages and there's, you know, therapy. And, and uh, I, I love that uh, the message is getting out there that we, in fact, are not broken. I agree. I'm a huge mental health advocate going to school for psychology as everybody probably knows by now because I talk about it all the time. And I definitely want to either be a therapist if I'm in a good place mentally um, myself or be a professor because I don't think you have to be all there to be a professor. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> not bashing on any of the professors that listen. I'm just right. saying like, um, so I, speaking of mental health stories, Nicole, I would love to have you take us back when you realized I'm struggling mentally, there's something going on here. So I think the first time that I was aware that I was maybe experiencing life differently (laughs) than my peers, I was probably eight. But I didn't realize it was a mental health issue until I was in my mid to late 20s. So there, there was, yeah, so there was a big, yeah, a really big gap there where I just thought like, what the hell is wrong with me? Right? And that's a long time to feel not great about yourself, especially when you go through those teenage years. But uh, for sure, my my first 
experience that I, I remember vividly would be around eight years old. And I can look back now as a 40 year old adult and see that that eight year old me was, was suffering from panic attacks and they were debilitating and very, very, very scary because I obviously I didn't know what was wrong. And then right. you've got that fear cycle that attaches to it thinking, when am I going to have that feeling again, which you can't even really articulate what it is. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then that starts just the whole fear loop, right? And it starts with the anxiety and all of that kind of stuff because you're waiting for the other shoe to drop again. No, exactly. So. I've uh, dealt with depression since I, as far back as I can remember. So, mm-hmm. and I didn't even know that it was a, a thing until I was in my twenties and I was just like, Oh, this is, this is not quote unquote normal. Like, yeah. Oh, people don't feel like this on a daily basis. And it wasn't until I started on my mood stabilizers and got a diagnosed with bipolar two that I was like, Oh, this is what people feel like on a daily basis. Like, Oh, okay. This is different. Like I had no idea. Cause depression was just there all the time. Like a best friend that just is attached to your hip. <laughs> the best friend that's really the worst friend in the world. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I can relate to that too. And, and depression, I, I certainly uh, commend anyone that has depression for, for getting out there and, you know, continue, you know, living their life in, in any capacity that they can, because I, I think I, I suffered from my, my anxiety or sorry, my mental health issues mostly stemmed from, uh, anxiety, uh, some OCD, which I actually didn't realize until quite recently that, uh, the things that I thought were anxiety were actually OCD. But after, um, a health issue that I had, which we'll, we'll get into a little bit later, I definitely suffered from an acute depression that lasted probably close to a year and depression is debilitating. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it really steals all parts of you, like your motivation, your joy, your ability to get up in the morning, like all of that kind of stuff, which are all the things that you need in order to, um, you know, more naturally make yourself feel better, like to go for walks and, and to, you know, get out and be with friends because depression makes you want to isolate. So that is a really, really tough mental health issue to, to combat. And I certainly commend anyone who is out there, like I said, trying to live the best life they can, um, despite having this awful feeling that kind of cloaks them all of the time. Yeah. It's just like gray clouds and black clouds all the time. That's yeah. it. There's no sunshine when yeah. you're depressed. So yeah. I mentioned earlier and I said how depression was like a best friend. Um, and, uh, sometimes when I, especially recently when I started on my new meds and I don't feel it all the time in a way, I kind of missed it because to me that was everyday life. I knew what to expect with depression. I don't know. Did you feel the same way about anxiety or is it just me? No, I think, I think you're probably on to something and I think, uh, I think it'll be interesting when you're finished your psychology degree, you'll probably actually find out what the actual uh, theory is behind that. But I, I think that, you know, we're, we're creatures of habit, right? We, we know how to, like once I had anxiety for a whole bunch of years, so say by the time I hit, you know, 19, and I'd been suffering with anxiety for 11 years by now, 
I knew at this point now, whatever this feeling was that I had all the time wasn't going to kill me because if it did, it would have already. So it did become just part of my, my daily life. And so I can see how people would not necessarily get attached to it, but you get so used to it that if it's, yeah. if it's missing, you're kind of like, oh, well, well, what do I do if I'm not putting out all these fires in my brain today? Right. right? It really, I mean, yeah. yeah, like it frees up a hell of a lot of time, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm so bored right now. Like, I'm like, what do I do now that I don't have depression all the time and I'm not going into these hypomania states and what am I doing with my life right now? Like reading a shit ton of books. That's what I'm doing, but I'm like bored now. Cause I'm like, Oh, I spent all this energy and effort trying to keep myself from like going into a super dark place all the time that now I'm like, Oh, okay. This is what this is like. Yeah. And I think you really touched on something there too, because you've got all of this extra time now and you're like, okay, so what am I going to do with my life? Because normally we don't have any time to sit around and do any kind of forward thinking because we are trying to keep in my case, you know, the lion from attacking me because that's what it always felt like, or you're trying to keep yourself or talk yourself into getting out of bed. So there's always these internal dialogues that we're trying to deal with. And then if they go away for a little bit and we have a reprieve, which for me, my anxiety ebbed and flowed my whole life. So there were certainly times where it was a lot less Then I would sit around and be like, Oh, my life is isn't exactly what I want it to be right now because for the last four years I've let everything slide because my anxiety has been really bad. Right. So then, and then all of a sudden you're looking at your life and going, Oh, this isn't what I want. So now I have to do a B and C to try to get out of this, which often starts another cycle of anxiety. (laughs) And so it just becomes this big. Yeah. And, um, I'm trying to, uh, now that I'm, I'm much healthier and in much more control over my thoughts. I'm trying to kind of sit in the, in the pause and in just comfort. Yes, yes. Yes. And just be okay to be there for a minute. Right. I'm having a hard time with that. And that's what I've been trying to do because I got, I've never learned how to deal appropriately with my emotions. And so that's one of the things that therapy's helped a lot, but I still have to work on. And so just sitting in that discomfort and being like, okay, this is how I'm feeling right now. Cause even though I'm on the mood stabilizers doesn't mean I don't like feel the things. Um, I still get anxiety. I have anxiety too. Um, I still get anxiety over things. I still like get not depressed, but close. Anybody who's had depression, there's like this cliff and you're hanging on the edge of the cliff and you're like, I don't want to go there. Um, and that's basically what, where I've gotten at times. It'd be like so close, but not quite there. Um, and I'm still having to deal with those things. And those things are never going to go away, no matter how many meds they put me on, because that's part of life is feeling those things and being able to deal with those things on a daily basis. Right. And I think too, if, and you're, you're exactly right. And if you're not fixing the wounds and if you're not fixing, you know, any, you know, trauma or whatever it is that you're dealing with that has helped form the person that you've become, then you, the, the medication isn't going to, to help enough anyway. I'm a huge advocate of therapy. 
Um, therapy has been a game changer for me. Uh, at first, I felt uh, ashamed that I was in therapy, that I was, you know, quote unquote, broken enough to have to go Thank to you. therapy, right? Yeah. And then, and then I. After a while, I was like, wow, I feel so good every time I leave therapy and for a couple of days after because I got out all of the things that I didn't think I was allowed to say or the things I wasn't allowed to feel. And somebody was telling me like, no, that's actually completely normal. You should feel this way. In fact, I think you should feel even more of it, right? And it's like, I don't know why I needed somebody to give me permission, but I did. And, and so I, I'm a huge advocate and I know just in my own personal life, you know, friends upon friends who have gone to therapy and it has changed their life. Mm -hmm. And if therapy is not for you, that's okay. But you know, give try it a it chance. Yes, <laughs> yes. Try it out. I say everybody should go to a therapist at least once in their life and just see, because a lot yeah. of us have shit that, I mean, I knew I had shit, but a lot yeah. of people have shit that they don't even realize they have going on there. Yeah, for sure. And, um, you know, I am not, uh, I am not against medication in any way. So I, tell I, us about that. Tell uh, us why you feel a certain way about medication. And I know you're not medication shaming. Yes. You no, have definitely a reason not. for your feelings about medication. Yeah. So, so for sure, I, I think everybody, especially with mental health needs to stay in their own lane. Yes. Um, not, not everyone can be treated, cured, anything like that the same way. Um, we're all unique. So treatment plans need to be unique. Uh, my struggle with uh, pharmaceuticals, for example, is that to me, there's a lot of uh, one approach fits all. Yes. And I think there are lots of other healing modalities that can be taken into consideration, either in conjunction with medication or in place of, depending on, on the scenario, right? I absolutely agree yeah. with you. So for me, uh, I wasn't given any other option other than you have anxiety, you are broken. That was the message that was given to me um, because I had the whole, um, you know, it was like a diabetic needing insulin. So inherently telling you that there is something physiologically wrong with you, right? right? That you needed to fix. And so I was given um, a prescription for Paxil. I can look back now and know that for I was- For some reason that, that brings uh, like something in my head where I'm like, there's something wrong with Paxil. There's something that I heard bad about Paxil. Oh yeah, there's- It a, wasn't you. So but... many lawsuits too, right? Okay. Um, which is fine. I, and I mean, Paxil isn't necessarily the, the bad guy on the right. in terms of um, antidepressants. They, they all have their, their risks and side effects as with um, any medication profile, like a heart medication or a, a diabetic medication, whatever it is. Right. Um, but for me, I wasn't um, given any uh, any type of informed consent, and that's where my my issue comes in. But uh, so you know, I was told that there was something wrong with me, uh, that I had a you know a deficiency in my brain, and that the only thing that was going to fix it was 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 Paxil. And I can look back now and say I was not born with a Paxil deficiency, right? I know this. Who is? Right? Exactly. And you're not born with an effects or deficiency or, or whatever it is. Right. And, um, so I began taking the, the medication. And uh, I 
I became very apathetic. I gained weight. Um, I, I couldn't feel joy. Um, there was loss of, you know, sex drive. There were, there were all of those things, all of the, the things that if you read about are part of the side of, uh, side effect profile. But what right. they, what you don't know is that these side effects are really quite insidious. So they, they, it's not like you take the medication one day and then all of these symptoms show up and no. so that time. you stop taking them, right? It's, it's a very slow, sneaky process. But I turned around 10 years later and I've been on this medication and none of the issues that I went on medication for were cured. None of those were fixed. Uh, none of the, you know, trauma had been addressed, any of that. So now I'm 50 pounds overweight, right? I've got, I'm tired all of the time. I can't sleep. I have problems with my thyroid, all of these things. And I, so I continue to go to the doctor, but every time I go to the doctor, their, their only suggestion is to increase the dose. So instead of recognizing that it's a side effect of the very medication that I've been given, right, right, we're just increasing the dose, which is making all of the symptoms worse. So nobody stopped to ask me, like, what are you eating? Which was McDonald's or fast food five times a week. You probably I, craved it. Right. And because I was tired, right? Yeah. And I was drinking and I was um, not sleeping well and I was never exercising and I wasn't getting out in nature and, you know, all of that kind of stuff, right? I wasn't going to, I wasn't meditating. I wasn't going to massage therapy. I wasn't moving my body in any way except from the, you know, from the couch to the kitchen, right? And um, I had two really young kids and, and I thought, well, then maybe this is just what, you know, parenting feels like. I had my kids really close together. And so, you know, I mean, being a parent is really hard, at, yeah. at, no matter what age your kids are. And um, so I just, I felt a lot of uh, pushback from, from my doctor. And, and I don't believe in any way that doctors are out to harm us. So I have a question real yes. quick. Of course. Did you get your, were you prescribed this medication by your primary care physician or by a psychiatrist or psychiatric nurse practitioner? So kind of both. Okay. So okay. I had gone to my, so the original reason that I had gone on to the Paxil was because I was given, um, Zyban, which I don't know if anyone remembers. That was a smoking set cessation drug okay. that was, um, so, so we're talking like mid nineties at this point yeah. and, um, take Zyban, you'll, you won't have any cravings and you won't smoke anymore. So I decided to do that because I don't like doing hard things and I didn't want to quit smoking on my own and be miserable. So I thought, oh, miracle drug. And uh, I'll take this pill and I won't want to smoke. And, and really that is what happened. But what I didn't know at the time was Zyban was actually marketed um, or used off label for it was, it was an antidepressant. That's what it was originally designed for. Okay. So I took it. And then when I stopped smoking, I just stopped taking the pills or stopped taking the Zyban. And so I went into withdrawal. And we know that now looking back, but at the time, out of nowhere, my anxiety had been fairly well controlled at that point. And then I started getting rolling panic attacks. I was in bed for over a week with like vomiting and just stomach uh, distress. Uh, I was getting uh, really intrusive thoughts. I was afraid to be alone. Like it was very, like, I felt like I was in crisis. 
Yeah. And um, so we recognize now that that was because I had abruptly stopped taking an antidepressant, which is a very big no-no, but I didn't know it was an antidepressant and there were certainly no uh, warnings or anything about that. So I went to my doctor and said, I'm in, I'm in distress. And he said, okay, I want to put you on Paxil. I don't think anything is wrong with you, but this is often when mental health issues um, surface in your right. age group. Because at this point I'm, I'm 21, 22 around there. Mm-hmm. So he said, before you take it, I want you to go to a psychiatrist and just make sure it's not anything more serious. So now my anxiety is like off the chart because I'm like, oh my goodness, my doctor thinks it might be something more serious, right? Right. So I go to a psychiatrist. It was fairly disappointing in the sense that it was, you know, a half an hour kind of session. He was like, there's, there's nothing wrong with you other than the fact that you have anxiety and OCD and yes, you should take the Paxil and you're going to be on it for the rest of your life. And then you're going to be, you're going to be happy. And I was devastated. Yeah. Right. Like I was like, I have to be on medication for the rest of my life. That's how I felt. When yeah. she told me I'm bipolar too. And she was like, you're probably going to need some mood st- stabilizers from the rest of your life because otherwise you're going to keep doing the same behaviors. Cause I always said, I felt like I was out of control of my body when I would do these behaviors. Um, and she was like, you probably won. So I've wrapped my mind around it, but it's a completely different diagnosis and completely different situation, which is very important for people to take away from the conversation. Um, and I asked you that question because I'm very much against PCMs prescribing mental health medication because I feel like they didn't get enough training to be able to do that. And that's why I asked you that question. Yeah. And you know, and, and I couldn't agree more. And again, I don't think it's because they want to hurt us, but they only, True. they only know what they know. They only know yeah. what the drug reps are telling them. Right. right. So yeah. And I mean, yes, there's, there's another side of that coin, depending on who you talk to, that's, that also says, you know, well, it is their job to learn that if they're going to be um, uh, prescribing the medication. My issue is that um, if you're going to uh, prescribe the medication, I think it is your responsibility to learn how to get people off the medication as well in a, ma- in, a, in a way that is safe and kind and nurturing and patient, right? So because- I'm guessing you have some experience with oh. this. So <laughs> want to share that with us? Because sure. people are probably like, you're very passionate right now. I do. I'm getting, <laughs> I'm getting fired up. You are. Um, yeah. So, so I'm on the medication and I want to get off. Right. So, so now we're 10 years down the road. Um, I've gone through a divorce and um, I can attribute quite a few things actually to the, the breakdown of my marriage to the way I behaved on medication, right? Mm-hmm. Tired, no sex drive, all of that kind of thing. Um, kind of snappy and all of that kind of stuff. And that doesn't set you up for success. Right. Right. So, um, so I get a divorce. Um, I start doing really well on my own. I meet my current husband um, and we're in a really good position or in a, in a really good place. And, and I just don't want to be on medication anymore. I'd felt for a long time that I didn't want it, that I didn't like it. I was tired of the weight gain, all of that kind of stuff. So I decided to taper. So I talked to my doctor first and he was like, you know, I don't think you should, but if you want to, here you go. So he gave me a very rapid taper, taper schedule. 
which obviously I didn't know at the time. And uh, so I, at this point, I'd been on the medication now, say for, it's got to be eight or 10 years, something like that. Right. And I went off the medication in just under two months. Mm. So that was very quick. And yeah. I had every symptom you could think of. Uh, plus I had uh, two anaphylactic uh, allergic reactions that they could never <sighs> why. My eyes were swollen shut for about seven months. Oh my uh, gosh. Yeah, it was, it was really cute. Uh, I had, I lost a lot of feeling on my right side, which ended up, uh, having put me through the system of, uh, trying to find out why that was happening. And so that was, you know, uh, them thinking I had MS and having to go through all of the, the testing and all of that. So for, uh, for just over a year, um, we, we firmly believed that I had MS based on all my symptoms, based on some testing. Um, I was seeing all these specialists and they were saying, yes, but something's a bit off. Um, so going through all of that and then because I was under so much stress and the anxiety was so severe because I had tapered too quickly, I decided to go back on the medication. Mm. So as soon as I went back on the medication, all of the symptoms went away. My, the swelling in my eyes left the, I had I got feeling back in the in the right side on my leg and in my hand. The tingling stopped. I was able to sleep again. Um, so that's when I realized the medication has something to do with this. Right. So that was when I first started researching and um, really trying to get to the bottom of it. So I spent about uh, close to a year um, researching anything I could find. I was on PubMed all the time. That's when I was on my huge memoir kick of trying to find other people that had experienced this, looking for right. blogs, forums, all of that kind of stuff. And the information that was there, especially from uh, what I would call victims of, of antidepressants, were, were terrifying. So it actually made me even more afraid to begin to taper again because people were just so sick. But I realized a couple of things that I had tapered too fast about how unhealthy I was that is all going to set me up for failure. Right. So I started working on some of those things prior to trying to resume another Paxil taper. So in the meantime, I had gone back to my doctor and said, okay, I want to do this again but I want to do it really slow and I need your support. And he was great. He said, I will support you and however slow you want to go and we will figure it out. The problem was, he said, in the meantime, what we're going to do is we're going to give you a benzodiazepine to help you when you have those breakout panics so that you can still function and go to work and, and all of that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So that's when the real problem started. <laughs> So then, oh my goodness, all yeah. these things. Yeah. Side note, I had a really bad reaction to depression medications, but it was only when I took it, it actually made me more suicidal, not less. Mm -hmm. And we found out now that that's because I'm bipolar and I don't actually have just right out depression. So it's a whole different part of your brain. Mm -hmm. Just a side note, that can happen too if you're, you got the wrong or wrong diagnosis as well. Well, I think actually it's really important that you mention that because that is one of the biggest side effects of antidepressant is creating suicidal depression. Mm -hmm. So, um, and regardless if you're bipolar, that is, uh, a, I mean, co maybe common isn't the 
right word, but it's not uncommon. And that's why they have the black box warnings on them now is to, to warn people of this. And I feel like if we don't know who that's going to happen to, uh, I think that we should really be using a hell of a lot of more healing modalities before we turn to medication. If, if we're still not sure what we're doing to people's brains with these medications. Yeah. Um, and, and that's sort of the issue that I have around, um, kind of painting everyone with the same brush. Like everyone has anxiety or everyone has depression. So everyone affects you is going to work for, right? So, and until we can figure that out, I, I feel like it's, not a great prescribing practice and a good psychiatrist or psychiatric nurse practitioner will monitor you and will also try different things and listen to you so like my psychiatric nurse practitioner i just got here she's like here i'm gonna put you on these meds in addition to what you're already on because of these reasons here's the possible side effects if you feel any of these things let me know we will end this immediately and she was like and if you don't see a difference then again we will end it immediately because you don't need to have those we can find you medication that will help you that you won't feel all those side effects and you won't um and that will work for you and I was like I like you okay we can do this yeah but a good one will make sure that they monitor you will be very honest and forthright and will also realize that oh just because this worked for my previous patient that has this disorder does not mean it's going to work for this one. Yeah, you nailed it with that. And and that's the thing. And having a rapport too with your your practitioner and having someone that will listen to you and listen to your fears, that is just as important as being successful as as the medication, right? Like Mm -hmm. you have to, I love that you have somebody that you, that you like and trust. And I think that's, that's super important. And um, I wish more people had that. What kind of healing modalities, you've you've mentioned several times, uh, uh, alternative healing modalities. I'd love, because, you know, we're getting lower on time. I'd love to have have you share that with people. So if they're listening and they're like, what are these healing modalities? How can I try them out? Because I... I like you, I've, I've done a lot of alternative um, things to help me. And actually that's a lot of those things are the reason I don't have to be on a higher dosage of medication is because if I do those things, it helps me feel better. For sure. Yeah. So, so for me, that would look like uh, seeing a natural path. It would look like having uh, your blood work done to make sure that your, your, your vitamin B, your uh, thyroid, your, um, checking to see whether or not you're anemic because all of these things are psychiatric pretenders, right? So, you know, having, yeah. uh, Gut bacteria as well. Exactly. Right. All of that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, for example, I found out um, afterwards that I have Hashimoto's thyroiditis, which is, yeah. And so that can make you feel all of the things that psychiatric things can make you feel like as well. Right. So sometimes people have uh, something actually wrong with them that can be fixed, but not fixed with an antidepressant. So um, massage therapy, uh, getting out in nature, uh, moving your body, making sure you sweat every day, meditation. There, there are so many things um, that we can do to help ourselves. And I think diet probably plays the largest role that I have ever witnessed um, a lot of chemicals in the food we eat that yeah. really can fuck with us. 
Yes. Yes. And, and I had no idea. And I ate like a dumpster diver for, (laughs) for, for years and years and years and years. And, and, and those were my sickest years. Right. And now I, I actually look at food as fuel and I'm, I'm very particular about what I put into my body because I, I feel it. I feel it in, in a lot of ways. And, and I did, I just didn't know. And right. And we don't know what we don't know and we can't be blamed for what we don't know. Right. Right. But when we do know, I think that we have a responsibility to, to do things like this and share for the other people who don't know to help get the message out. No, I 100% agree with you. And I, I've probably said it multiple times on this podcast, mental health and physical health, health period is not one size fits all. What works for one person won't work for another. And I'm a firm believer of trying more natural remedies before you rely on medication because that medication in my opinion should be a last resort and not that that's weakness and not that's a bad thing but it may not be necessary for everybody right or even like you said in in a situation like yours it may be that you need a very low dose that maybe typically wouldn't even work for somebody because it's such a small dose, but because you have all of these other practices in play, then it, it's, it's helping you, right, in, in that way. And, and I wish that I had had that, but I didn't. And right. I don't regret my experience in the sense that I am a changed person. There, there are very little parts of me that are, are the same woman that I was before um, before actually, I would say before the benzodiazepine, that was, that was really the turning point point in my life because I had such a terrible reaction to that, that I ended up waking up one day with, um, no feeling below the belly button. Oh my gosh. Uh, and I spent a a long time, a couple of weeks in the hospital and then I had home care and I had to learn how to walk again. And it was, um, it was, it was horrifying and traumatizing in, in every way. And um, what, I, what I've come to find out through research and forums and just sharing my story is that that is not uncommon um, for this class of medication. And the withdrawal is long and painful, and it probably took close to four years from tapering to actually wow. feeling person again to to actually heal from the damage of benzodiazepines so and 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 for your listeners who maybe don't know what a benzodiazepine is in terms of a class of medication that would be Ativan, Valium, Xanax, Klonopin Mm. like those those kinds of um, medications and while they serve a purpose for sure in an acute setting or in a hospital setting I don't I, I don't feel like it's a medication that may be best suited for long-term use or daily use. Like opioids, um, <laughs> yeah. because they, they have the same issue. So what will happen is people will come out of the hospital and they will still be on the opioids, but then they won't, they, nobody knows how to wean these people off of it. So that's how we get addicts because they're not weaning them off appropriately. So what will happen They'll either they'll do it too fast. And then the person has withdrawals and goes right back on the opioids because why would they want to deal with the withdrawals and they become addicted instead of, 
hey, you have this in the hospital. Okay, we're going to taper it off very slowly when you get out because it's highly addictive medication and do that. Yes, not the same kind of medication, but it sounds just like what you're talking about. It is exactly the same. And, and, and I've used that uh, comparison before, but it's harder for people to wrap their head around because they look at one as a narcotic, right? right. And, 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 and one is something that your doctor's prescribing so that you don't have panic attacks. So they don't put it in the same arena. So they don't realize that maybe the same strategies need to take place in order to protect patients um, and, and figure out how to wean them off properly. Right. So, so yeah, I, w- I was, I was super sick and I promised myself that if I ever survived this, because there was definitely a time I didn't think that I was going to survive. I lost 72 pounds. I mean, it was, it was, it was sick. I, I was sick and it was scary. And I said, if I ever survived this, I wasn't going to go away quietly. I was going to find a way to get the message out that a number one in the very beginning that you are okay, right? Even, even if you have anxiety or you have, you know, depression or you have trauma, there, there are ways to heal with it. There are, or, or heal from it. There are ways to deal with it that don't require you to necessarily have to take medication because you aren't broken. Right. You may need some extra love. You may need somebody to talk to. And unfortunately, those things aren't always covered by our insurance plans, but medication is right. So, yeah. Yeah. No, I feel like that's a lot of times why. Uh, physicians rely on that instead of, and, and you know what, they dissect us. Like it's not a whole person approach. It's a, Oh, you have this issue with, let's use diabetes mm-hmm. with your sugar levels, like, or insulin levels. So let's give you this diabetic medication. Not what are you eating? Uh, what is your life outside of this room look like? And how might we be able to, and I'm not talking about somebody who was born diabetic. Right. I'm talking about somebody who becomes Acquired. diabetic, yeah. acquires it. Um, instead of looking at that, they're like, here's a pill. Like, because they don't, they don't get paid for all that work outside of their office. So right. I'm not saying they're evil. I'm not against physicians. Okay. I don't think they're evil people, but I feel like there needs to be a more holistic, a whole person approach than these like little pieces. Yep. And yeah, and, and, and I couldn't agree more. And, it, and it's like we, we've both said a couple of times today, we are not against people being on medication. We don't think doctors are bad, right? And of course, we don't think that. There, there is a time and a place for everything. And doctors are also, you know, sort of overworked and um, understaffed and, and that, that whole thing. You can almost see from an outside perspective how all of this has come into play, right? Like how all of this whole situation with, you know, medications and even with, um, with addicts and all of that has, has been created because we have been putting money where we don't need it. We don't need to put from a government perspective, all of our money into pharmaceuticals. It would be nice if we could put it into therapy and holistic approaches and and all of that kind of stuff, right? Or even early education, about anxiety, about mental health, and about all of that stuff. So people aren't afraid and running to their doctor at the first sign of, you know, of weakness or of distress, or, you know, we've never been taught how to live with our emotions. I agree. So as we wrap up the podcast, Nicole, what is something or a collection of things that you would like to leave the Inspired Women audience with? I would like 
the listeners to know that whatever you are going through at the moment will pass and not to be afraid to reach out for help. And whether that means or whether that looks like to you listening to the Inspired Women podcast and and finding um, other women who um, have similar stories to you that you can relate to and you can see how they've triumphed. If that means, you know, going for a walk or doing something for yourself, make sure that you're practicing self-care and without fear of being judged for it because self-care doesn't look the same to everybody. And yes you know, don't, don't be afraid to talk about your anxiety or your depression or whatever mental health um, issues that you're dealing with because isolation will keep you stuck. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you are who you are, you have a story, you have a message. And uh, if you're willing to talk about it, there could be a time where you could help other people while you're helping yourself. Yes, I agree. I agree with all of that and Yay. so much more. And especially the part about sharing. Uh, you would not believe the amount of people that come to me because I share so openly about my mental health struggles and they may not have the same ones, but they'll be like, what are some resources for me? Some of what are some things I can do by the way, if anybody's looking for a therapist and don't know how to find one that accepts your insurance and you know, is near you go to psychology today.com and they have a find a therapist part of their website and you can put in your zip code and then you can filter it by your insurance to find out who near you actually accepts your insurance. Also okay. another good, um, another good resource is ask your doctor. If your physician accepts your insurance, I would hope that they're a decent physician and know some therapists that they can refer you to that also accept your insurance. That's how I found my psychiatric nurse practitioner. And from her, I found my therapist that I'm going to be seeing next week when we're recording this. Um, so those things are, are really important. So Nicole, I'm so thankful you came on the podcast and you shared your story. So thank you so much. Thank you. And thank you for having this platform for women to, uh, to be able to share. Thank you for being a part of the Inspired Women audience. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating review. And don't forget to share this out with somebody who could use some inspiration today. Tag us at Inspired Women Podcast, both on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great day.